Why do we do baptism? Why does baptism happen? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for our church? Um, some people would say it's an initiation rite, and I would agree with that. I think it's a place that, um, that we go from maybe like an intellectual knowing of who Jesus is into more of the mystery of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as an initiation for that journey, um, we're baptized. But why? Why? There's a... Um, there's initiation rites uh, for many religions, many cultures. You know, if we were a part of the Sikh religion, you know what we would do? We would take an iron bowl, we'd fill it with clean water, we'd stir that with a sword, we'd recite the sacred texts, we'd pour in some sugar, and then we'd pass it to one another as a symbol of immortality. That's their initiation rite. If we were followers of Islam, we would uh, practice ablution, which means that we would, uh, um, you know, clean ourselves with like a coarse sand or a coarse dirt, and that would show that we were clean before God. That would be the, uh, the, the way that we would show our initiation. If we were Hindus, we would uh, swim in the Ganges River. If we were practicers of, of Shintoism, what we do is we put a loincloth on ourselves and stand underneath a waterfall, which actually sounds kind of good to me. I like that. <laughs> but uh, that's what we would do. And then you have... Um, you know, some of the, the, the more uh, obscure cultures, right? You have this uh, group called the Sepik culture, and they're um, in the Amazon. And part of their initiation is they cut themselves so that they scar in the way that an alligator might look. So they try to create scales on their body. Interesting, right? Um, there's the Nogal tribe. The Nogal tribe is in uh, the South Pacific, and what they do is they actually bungee jump as an initiation rite, except they don't use bungee cords. They use like a tree vine, and they tie it to their ankle, and they just jump off a cliff. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but they do it, they do it as, a, as an initiation. They do it as an initiation into, um, you know, uh, not only a, a good harvest, but uh, for spiritual fortitude. So why do we do baptism? Why do we immerse people into water and bring them back up? What does it mean? What does it represent? What does it stand for? Well, today we're in this new series, this thankful series. We're talking about why, why we do some of the rhythms we do, why we, we uh, you know, worship, why we pray, why we do communion, and why we baptize. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch it up a little bit. Did you guys know I used to be a teacher? I used to teach fifth grade. So I'm, I'm going to put on my teacher hat, all right? I'm going to teach a little bit today, and it's going to be more of like a lesson. So I'm going to give us a lesson why we do baptism, why we do this whole immersion process. So you guys want to take, I even made a timeline. I made a timeline for it, which... I'm super embarrassed by it because you guys are all graphic designers and, <laughs> and Juby had to help me. And, um, and so, um, so that's what we're going to do. You guys, you guys want to take this journey about why baptism, all right? All right, we're going to start at the beginning, all right? We're going to start right at the beginning. It's Genesis 1. What does Genesis 1 say? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay? Now, we are uh, Hebrew people, and it's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years ago. Put yourself in that place, and you're reading this text, and there's a big thing that sticks out to you. It's a really important thing that sticks out to you, and, it, and it's this last line here. It says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So if you're uh, you know, part of the Hebrew culture, what's important to you is this water piece, okay? It's incredibly important. And what you know is that this spirit of God hovering over the water means there's life. There's a beginning, and the beginning happens with water. And so from this water, you get you know, the land and the sky, and you get um, darkness and light, and all of it comes from water. So that's an important thing if you are a part of the Hebrew culture. Why is it so important? Water plays a major role 
in all of the, your history and all of the way you live. So you start at the beginning with God's spirit was over the water. Okay? Water's a beginning. Now we're going to fast forward. We're going to go to Exodus, and we're going to go to Exodus 14, and the Israelites are in slavery, okay? And so this is however many years later, I don't know, a bunch of years later, uh, the, the Israelites are in slavery. They're in slavery for 400 years. Let's put that into perspective. America is 238 years old, okay? It means we would have 162 more years of slavery to go. All right, that's, that's, none of us would have known any kind of freedom whatsoever. So if we're slaves in Israel and we're slaves to Egypt, what is our identity? Well, our identity is such that we would say, I am a slave. I am a slave to the Pharaoh. There is no God but the Pharaoh. But when you went home at night, you would hear these stories. You hear stories of this God that you had, and this God created the heavens and the earth and was above the water. And so that would be something you heard. And then all of a sudden, this God shows up. And what happens when this God shows up? Well, let's read about it. This God says, I'm going to free you. And this is how the God, this God frees you. The, um, it says this, and it's Exodus 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So now all of a sudden, this idea of water, at the beginning, this water takes on something new. It takes on the idea of freedom. Now, what does wind mean? It says the strong wind was there. Well, the Hebrew translation for wind is spirit. So once again, you have the spirit at the beginning you have the Spirit bringing freedom. Okay, so now the Spirit takes you from, to, uh, through water from slavery into freedom. And so let's, let's get one thing clear. This isn't God saying, you know what? I really didn't like the Israelites, but it's about time I free them, so I'm just going to do it. No, this is God saying, you know what? I've always loved the Israelites. I've always wanted freedom for them, and I'm going to free them through water. So this isn't God changing God's mind about the Israelites. This is the Israelites changing their mind about who God is and what God can do. Just remember that as the Israelites, they go into the desert because they see the promised land. They're afraid to answer the promised land. They go into the desert and they start to grumble. God, I can't hear you anymore. God, where are you? What's going on? And so God shows up again. And God says, I'm going to show up and I'm going to speak to you. Okay, and this is how it says. It's in Exodus 19. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. Seems like a really weird thing. You're going to talk to God? Do your laundry. That's what's going on here. But here's what's happening, right? What's happening is this. Um, God says, hey, I hear you grumbling. You think I'm not around, but guess what? I hear you. And I want you to know that I hear you. In fact, I want you to know I'm going to show up in a cloud, okay? But before you do that, I need you to consecrate yourselves and wash your clothes. What does that mean? I need you to get clean. I need you to go put yourselves in water, clean yourself up, and then come before me. All right, now this is an incredibly important passage because this sets the tone for something called the mikvah. Okay, the mikvah is a Jewish tradition that says before you enter the temple, before you enter to commune with God, you have to be immersed. You immerse yourself in water, you come clean before God, and then you go into the temple, okay? That's what happens. This still happens today uh, in some places where they still perform the mikvah before they go into the temple, all right? So this is the start of the mikvah. It's this uh, Jewish baptism, so to speak. And um, this happens, and what does this show? Once again, it's not like, well, I really don't like these guys. I, I, I guess I'll talk to them. 
It's God saying, no, I'm here. I've been here the entire time. I'm with you the entire time. You know, I'm not changing my mind about you. Change your mind about who I am. So I'm going to speak to you. And then it continues. Moses dies. He's not allowed to enter the promised land, but the Israelites are. Okay, so the Israelites get to enter the promised land. And, um, and how does that happen? Let's read about it. How does it happen? It says, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. And now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Are we starting to see a picture here? We're starting to see why we do baptism. We get it. Every time, every single time in the Old Testament, God wants to show up. Every single time in the Old Testament, God wants to bring people into freedom, bring people into a promise, bring people into his presence, there's water. There's water involved. And so once again, we see the Jordan River you know, separate and split, and it says the Spirit was upon it. So the same Spirit at the beginning, the same Spirit that's in the Red Sea is now in the Jordan River. We're starting to see the picture here, this arc of why we do baptism. All right, we're going to take a giant jump again. Okay, We're going to jump into, into the New Testament. We're going to jump about 1,000 years. All right, 1,000 years, Jesus shows up. Jesus, right? He shows up. So Jesus comes, and before Jesus actually starts his ministry, there's this guy. His name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a priest. He's one of the Jewish priests. So as a Jewish priest, he would have practiced the mikvah. He would have you know, immersed people, made them clean, allowed them to go to the, to the temple. Uh, he would have done that. But this, he's, he's a little bit of a rogue priest. He's, like a, he's a heretical priest. He's the kind that people would have like, tweeted about and been like, John the Baptist is going to hell. But he's really the one that brings Jesus in. So um, he starts baptizing people. John the Baptist starts baptizing people. And so let's read about that. He says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Okay? So what's happening here? Well, about a year ago, I preached on John the Baptist, and we talked about this. We talked about the word repent, and I said repent is to turn around, okay? But I said a, a better way to talk about the word repent, when we translate it, when we translate it into the Hebrew, it means to change your mind. Okay, change your mind. So once again, John the Baptist is saying, hey, change your mind. Change your mind about the way you look at baptism. Change your mind about what's happening here. Change your mind about the way that God views you. And why is John the Baptist saying that or doing that? Well, remember, these people were familiar with baptism. It was called the mikvah, right? They were familiar with it. They would go into the water. They go to the temple. Now, here's what would happen. You get baptized. The mikvah happens. You, you, you get up. You walk out. You start walking to the temple. God forbid you, like, step in a pile of, like, cow poo. Like, or, like, it's, I'm serious. Like, if that happens, you're in trouble. Or if you were touched by someone who was menstruating. Okay, any of those things, as you walk to the temple, meant you had to start all over again. Okay, it means you were walking to the temple, you, you, you were mikvahed, you were put under, you were brought up. Oh, I stepped in, I stepped in cow poo, got to go back. And you had to go back and start the whole process over again. You had to go back and you had to become clean before God all over again because you weren't clean now. What John the Baptist is saying is, hey, change your mind about how we do this. 
change your mind about what you're seeing. I'm now baptizing you, telling you you don't have to go back if you're unclean. I'm, I'm telling you that you're not going to have to go back uh, if you mess up or if you do the wrong thing. I'm telling you that there is a Messiah coming, and I'm asking you to change your mind about the way you see this whole process. That's what John the Baptist is saying. So what happens? It's the Jordan River, right? The same river that they crossed to get into the promised land and it's messy and there's like commerce everywhere and all these people are everywhere and uh, there's this line of people waiting to be baptized by this rogue priest and one of the people in this line is Jesus Christ. He's one of the people in the line. This is what scripture says. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Do we see the imagery here? We have a Spirit at the beginning, the Spirit over the water. We see the Spirit that is pushing the Red Sea to move from slavery to freedom. We see the Spirit once again upon the Jordan River as you move from the desert into a promise. You see the Spirit again as Jesus comes up out of the water saying, there is a new way. There is a new Messiah. And once again, this is not God changing God's mind about us. This isn't God going to Jesus, well, Jesus, I'm glad you're baptized because otherwise you would have been in really big trouble. You wouldn't have been allowed into heaven. No, this is God saying, this is, I've loved you the whole time. I've loved you all along. I love you so much I bring my son. And in my son's baptism, my son now walks with you in solidarity in my love. Change your mind about me. God's not changing his mind about us. We're changing our mind about God. And then what happens? Then what happens? Well, then there's a bit of an ultimate baptism, right? There's a death and there's a resurrection. Jesus dies, and Jesus is resurrected. And this is huge. It's incredible. Um, because what it does is that God says, listen, I got to show you how much I love you. I got to show you. And the, and the way that I could show you is just by making this ultimate sacrifice. I can only show you by, sh- by dying for you uh, so that you will change your mind about who I am in your life. That's the only way it can happen. And so Jesus dies and then is resurrected. And, and it's not because God says, well, oh, these people are so terrible. I don't like them. Jesus needs to die. It's because God says, I need to show you how much I love you. You need to change your mind about who I am. So Jesus dies and is resurrected. I love what the theologian N.T. Wright says. He says this. It's necessary to go not just through water and out the other side, but through a deeper flood altogether. All the multiple layers of meaning that were already present in baptism were now to be recentered on the event of Jesus' death and resurrection through water and into God's new world. So what happens is Jesus is has death and resurrection, and then just 20 years later, about 20 years later, Paul shows up, the Apostle Paul, and he gives us a new theology of baptism. Okay, he says it's no longer about trying to come clean before God. He says what, what, what's going to happen now is I'm going to take this ark that we've been following, this story, this beginning, and the freedom, and the promise, and all of the rest, and I'm going to put it all on Jesus' death and resurrection. And so here's what Paul says. He says, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So we have this story that's going over thousands of years 
and it's changing for the people. It's changing for God's people. God's people are being immersed in using water in different ways, but God is not changing. God's bringing a new beginning, freedom, a promise, love through Jesus Christ, and now he says you're getting new life too. This death and resurrection is a symbol for you for new life. It's a beautiful story. And then it brings us to the Ethiopian eunuch. It's a story that Ben just read a second ago. <clears throat> and who is this Ethiopian eunuch? He's a high-ranking official, incredibly high-ranking official. Why would he be a high-ranking official? Well, he wasn't considered aggressive enough to try to usurp the throne. He wouldn't try to create a military seizure in any kind of way. He didn't have the testosterone to do it. That's what they believed. Um, he would have been a, a, a huge um, help to the queen. And why would he be a huge help to the queen? Well, he can't impregnate the queen. Okay? And so that's another way his bloodline will not be in the, you know, in the line of kings and queens. Right? So, so he's, he's not a threat. He's trustworthy and he's not a threat to anybody. Okay? And so you, he's, he's this eunuch who's high-ranking official, but he's also an outcast. Now why is he an outcast? He's an outcast because everybody in the day... Everybody of that day was following the law. And what did the law say? You guys know what the law said. You learned about it in Sunday school. It says this. No one whose testicles are cut off or whose penis is cut off should be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Remember that? <laughs> Remember when you learned that? You drew a nice picture and with the crayons and... <laughs> there it was. So this eunuch, right? This eunuch would have gone to Jerusalem to worship. And just like, you know, just like we talked about, right, the, the history is important here, because just like we talked about, he would have, um, you know, gone to, be, to do the mikvah, to be immersed by a Jewish priest, to be baptized, so to speak, right? And he would have shown up, and he, he would have, the priest would have been there, and the priest would have been like, ah, I can't baptize you, I can't do the mikvah, because you don't have the, you don't have the proper requirements. You don't have the right parts. So, this, this eunuch who wanted to commune with God, who wanted to see God, who wanted to know God, would not have been allowed to. He would have been turned away. He wouldn't allow to be, be immersed in the water and then gone to the temple. That wouldn't be allowed to happen. So can you imagine now? Can you imagine the way that this eunuch feels? This eunuch is, is you know, traveling back, and he's traveling back in this chariot, and I have to imagine, like, despondent. Like reading scripture, trying to figure out where maybe he messed up or, or missed out. Like, like, why am I not allowed to worship? Why won't God love me? Like, why can't I go commune with God? I don't get it. I'm reading this. It doesn't make sense. I'm not allowed in. And then Philip shows up. And, and Philip goes, no, no, listen, there's a new thing going on. There's a new way. There's a new way. And, and, and the eunuch is going like, well, what's this new way? He goes, it's Jesus Christ. He goes, baptism doesn't mean that you have to jump through hoops and like, you know, come clean before God in a certain way anymore. Baptism is now through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the way that God shows his incredible love to you. And so I can't imagine what happened next, or, or I can only try to imagine what happened next. We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly. But my guess is this. My guess is that Philip didn't say, all you got to do is get baptized, and now God will love you. My guess is that Philip was there and told the eunuch this story, and the eunuch just was denied the mikvah, just was denied being immersed into water. And he hears the good news of Jesus, and he sees water, and he goes, why couldn't I just immerse myself right now? Couldn't I just immerse my? Couldn't I do that right now? And Philip goes, you could. 
He goes, why wouldn't I do that right now? Why wouldn't I be baptized right now? It means something completely different. It means that God loves me. And, and here's the big thing, right? The eunuch, was, the eunuch didn't believe God loved him. It was in the rules. It said that God didn't love him. And so it's not God. This baptism that the eunuch goes through is not God saying, well, I didn't like you because you didn't have the right parts. But now you're baptized, so I like you. No, it was God saying, I've always loved you. I have always always, always considered you my child. Always. Change your mind about who I am. Change your mind about me. And that leads us to today. So here we are practicing baptism today. And we're part of this story. We're part of this arc. Part of this, you know, possibly millions-year-old story of, of, of how God uses water to bring freedom and to bring promise and to bring love and to bring Jesus Christ and, and new covenant and, and everything that we could ever, and, uh, or anything beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. And we get to do it. So why baptism? Why do we do it? Well, we see the historical reason why. But listen, I think the reason we do it is because we're just we're messed up people. We're just messed up. We're, we're like a bundle of paradoxes, right? Like one day we'll do like the nicest thing for somebody and help them out. And the next thing we will, the next day we'll like, you know, completely hurt that person, you know, so that we can get something we want, right? One day we bring unity. The next day we bring segregation. One day we bring love. The next day we bring hate. We are, we're a struggle. We struggle, don't we? And the whole time, the entire time we have this, this God who says, I have loved you the whole time. Change your mind about who I am in your life. Change your mind about how much I love you. And we deny it. We deny the freedom. We say, no, we want to stay in slavery because we're just messed up. And then we deny the promise. We're like, I don't know if I really understand or believe this, so I'm not going to even go through it. So we deny ourselves that promise. And then we deny ourselves love because we're like, you know, I don't really feel like I deserve to be loved. I've done X, Y, and Z over the course of my life, and I just can't ever be forgiven from that. And God says, no, 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 no. Your baptism, it's not so that I can change my mind about you. It's so that you can change my mind about me and see that I've been wanting these things for you all along. So today, John and Elisa, they get to say yes to this. They get to say, you know what? I'm a broken person who messes up. And John and Elisa, you are broken people who mess up. <laughs> and you get to live in your paradox, and you get to you know, continue to mess up and do all the, the crazy things and not quite get it and say, God, I don't know if I want this, and I don't know if I want that. But you're saying yes you're saying yes to trying. You're saying yes to saying, okay, God, I'm changing my mind about you. And yeah, somewhere along the line, I do believe that you love me more than I could ever ask or imagine. And somewhere along the line, I do believe that the grace of Jesus Christ covers up every single one of my mistakes and messes. I do believe that. And you're saying, yes, I'm going to go ahead and be immersed. Not so that, God, so you can change about your mind about me, but so I can change my mind about you. And so, I hope, John and Elisa, that we can walk into a new beginning, right? And into freedom. 
and we can, we can walk into a new promise, and we can walk into a, you know, a rogue new way of doing things where, where grace exists. And I hope that when we feel like we're walking down those like crazy long roads from the Gaza Strip wondering what God thinks of us, we remember today in this baptism and we say, I am loved more than I can ever ask or imagine that God does not change God's mind about me, but I have changed my mind about God. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are just thankful for your grace. Oh, um, we're thankful for, for the beginning, from the beginning, from the beginning, you've wanted nothing but life for, from us. From the beginning, you wanted nothing but freedom for us. From the beginning, you have just wanted to love us. We thank you that we get to show it through baptism. God, we just pray that uh, every time we fall, that you would pick us back up, show us the mercy. And Lord, we thank you that you and your spirit continues to hover above the water as it will today. Praise in your name. Amen.